by talking about the mother heart of God through a mother's love. And I know this isn't Mother's Day, but I really have some really deep uh, things that are going on in my own life in regard to my own mother. So that I wanted to be able to share with you what God has done in my life. I, I can relate to the brother. My, my mother-in-law had passed away last November when I was here, and my father died in March. So we had a, a really hectic year. Uh, he was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was 91 years old, and <clears throat> I was very thankful to be able to go to his funeral, and we had a, a, a good uh, time with family, and of course, Dad's in heaven now, so he's watching over us, and we're, we're grateful for that. But I want to begin this morning by read, reading you a story about a woman whose name was Doris. Anybody named Doris in here? Her full name was Doris A. Cole Murphy, and if truth be told, Doris was actually married to three different men in her lifetime, so she had many other last names. That was just one of them. Doris had many obstacles in her life to overcome. At the age of 12 or 13, she was beaten by a sexual predator with a baseball bat, and some news articles say that she was beaten with an axe and hit over the top of her head, and her skull was fractured, and she was left for dead. This woman was a teenager, but she surprised all the people in the community by surviving. At the age of 26, she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, we're not sure if this is true. I was told this, but some people are telling me that at the age of 26, uh, she went out and had an affair, and she didn't want anybody to know it, and so she was telling everybody that she went to the doctor to, to tell them that she had cancer. So <clears throat> she had something that happened to her at the age of 26 that was not good. In 1967, she was in a severe car wreck where the driver of a pickup truck never applied his brakes and ran into the back of her car driving 50 miles an hour, which had an effect on her spine. In 1990, Doris slipped on some ice when leaving work and fell down a flight of concrete stairs, hitting her head and breaking her arm. What a day at the office. My goodness, in 2006, she fell and broke her hip. Doctors said that her, at her age, the odds of survival were quite low, yet she survived. In April of 2009, she fell again and broke her femur. And in September of that same year, doctors found an aneurysm in her stomach region that should have already taken her out, but she lived another few months after that. Listen, Doris was a fighter, to say the least. And on top of that, she began working in her chosen profession when someone with Mid-Continent Map Company saw something in her and gave her a job as a draftsman. Broken leg and all. She continued in this vocation for more, to, more than 40 years until her retirement from the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, in October of 2000. Her 15 minutes of fame came in the late 1990s when one of the local TV stations did a story about the house numbering lady for the city of Tulsa. 
Tulsa was growing, and it was her responsibility to assign address house numbers to the developers. This was always one of the highlights of her life. Now, on one personal note, she loved to read, especially the Danielle Steele romance novels. I'm not into that myself, but <clears throat> any of you ladies, uh, well, that's, that might be good. She didn't graduate high school due to responsibilities she had at an early age, but she eventually received her GED. She passed the test in her first attempt in 1975 at the age of 39. Bless her heart. Good job, Doris. Other than her children, she considered this to be the greatest accomplishment of her life. She continued to harp to her children and to her grandchildren to stay in school, and Doris had two children, Deborah, you'll have to excuse me, Deborah and Chris, nine grandchildren, and 17 great-grandchildren. Now, this is just a part of the story about Doris. Doris had another life outside of what I just read to you. I know it's going to be hard to get through this. She became a teenage mom at 15 with her first child, Deborah, with her husband, Larry. Doris had three children from a at age 17. She had one. She had another at age 18, and then she had another at age 19. She put those three children up for adoption. The names of those children were Barbara, Robert, and Sandy. At age 23, Doris had another son, and his name is Chris. Chris now resides in Houston, Texas with his wife, Lisa. If you remember, those of you who were here back in the 1940s and 50s, some of you were here, was often a practice of many unwed teenage moms to give up their children for adoption. Generally, during those years, it was considered a shame and a disgrace to be an, unwearied, an unmarried mother. So let's not be too hard on Doris. There was a high level of social stigma, social ju judgmentalism that was occurring during this era of history with most teenage pregnancies. Unwed mothers thought it was the best thing to do to give up their children for adoption. These mothers, as, as I've said, bore great regret and shame. Now, when a child is adoptive, adopted, adoptive parents do everything they can in most cases to make the child feel loved and welcomed into their home. And a child may still feel like something is missing in their life. Now, oftentimes there is a primal wound of rejection that is received by children who are adopted. Now, why did I tell you this story about Doris? Who is this woman? Doris Cole was by birth mother. And I found her last year. Now, that's a miracle for a 62-year-old man to find his mother. Now, she had passed away in 2009, but I was able to find out her entire history, what kind of woman she was, and what she did. She kept Deborah, our, my first sister, she kept her. She gave away the next three, and she kept my brother Chris, whom I met two weeks ago in a restaurant here in Birmingham. It was tremendous. When you meet your brother for the first time, it brings closure and healing to a lot of things. Now, I say all that to say this. I'm here today to tell you God heals. And one of the things He's healed in me is the mother wound. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's one thing to teach something you know. It's another to impart something that you are. And I want to impart something to you today as a congregation of who I am. Not just to teach you a bunch of information about what a mother is, but to teach you and impart to you the Father heart of God being like a loving mother. And there's many scripture. Now, I didn't say, I don't want you to misquote me to say, well, Rob said that we were to call God a mother and to pray to the mother God. No, I'm not saying that. But the scriptures I'm going to show you today are very self-evident in the fact that God ministers to us like a mother, even though he's a father. And sometimes, men, we have to minister to our children if the wife isn't there. And most men, it's, it's almost impossible to go into that nurturing phase. Now, nurture to a man is a lot different than nurture to a woman, okay? But I want you to know today that God wants to impart healing to you for those of you who may be suffering from a mother wound. Now, we hear sermons on father flaws and earthly fathers that were absent and Uh, But we don't hear a lot of sermons on earthly mothers who were absent. Now, my birth mother, Doris, was absent. I never got to meet her. And that wound, which is called the primal wound, was in my spirit. It still is. I'm still working through uh, some of those wounds. But the greatest wound that I have was a spirit of rejection, abandonment, fear, and not a sense of belonging. And that was with me all through my growing up years, even though my adoptive parents loved me all the way till I was 33 years old when I had a prayer counselor sit down with me and deliver me from a spirit of fear and rejection. And I'm here to tell you that God is faithful. When Doris became uh, uh, pregnant out of wedlock with me, there was, like I said, a cycle that that, uh, was produced in me. And when I was born, I was diagnosed as what they called a blue baby. You've heard that term? My circulatory system was damaged. I suffered for years with chronic anxiety and chronic bouts of bronchitis and respiratory infections. The enemy tried to put a respiratory infection on me preparing for this message. And I I, I told him to leave because I'm healed of that. It's not... It comes sort of like a wave. It'll just come and, and try to attack me again. And I just tell it to leave in the name of Jesus because I call on my father. At the age of eight, I was left in a hospital in Tulsa without my parents' presence for many, many evenings. Back then, uh, parents couldn't stay with their children at night. So I was left in a hospital for three days every evening without a parent. When I was born, I was born on a Wednesday And my mother and father came to get me on Saturday, and I was by myself in the hospital with the nurses and doctors for four days. And then three months with my mother who adopted me, they didn't know if they could keep me or not. So there I had another three-month area where I had no parental connection and no bonding with a mother figure. And I'm here to tell you that that does affect you. And some some people believe that, that uh, infants are not aware of what's going on around them, and and they are aware. We're given a spirit when we're born, and our spirit knows what's going on in our surroundings. When I married my wife Sharon in 1976, I had an unconscious sense that she was going to leave me, and we had some really horrible battles. I mean, one one time I got so mad I pulled the the, uh, window unit air conditioning out of the uh, wall 
to get back in the house because she'd locked me out of the house because I, I had one of my angry fits. I used to put my hands through walls, put my hands through doors, and, you know, I'm a pretty nice guy, and these things would just come up in me, and I didn't know where they were coming from. Anybody else ever experienced that where something just comes on you? It's amazing, and it was a spirit of rejection and abandonment. You know, sometimes God does heal instantly. He'll, he can heal people instantly in a Cincinnati second. I've experienced some healing, and I've prayed for people that have been healed instantly. But most of the time, he takes a while to heal those wounds that we're talking about. So this morning, I, I want to do a nine-week a nine uh, session in one session. So I had to kind of call it down to three areas. The first area I want to talk about is honoring your mother and father. That's number one, what the Scripture says about. And then I want to talk about the three types of mothering that maybe you ladies can uh, understand and what happens when a, when a child gets wounded by the mother. And the third area I want to talk about is God's Word and how you heal the wound through forgiveness and confession. So I'm going to go through this, and it's... It's really, it's really a, a spiritual law. If we'll, if we'll turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, if you have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. It's a spiritual law that when you honor your father and mother, life's going to go well with you. And to the extent that you don't, guess what? Life will not go well with you in the area that you dishonor your parents. And I know in my experience uh, going, uh, going through prayer counseling and prayer ministry and, and therapy, 85% of the wounds that people have are mother and father wounds of why their life is not going well with them. So I want us to look at this verse. There's two of them actually, Deuteronomy 5.16 and Exodus 20.12. It says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, turn up, uh, the next one is Deuteronomy 5.16. It's the same, same law. It says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has suggested to you, commanded you, that your days may be long, and then it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. What he's saying here is that if we honor mom and pop, from infancy to what well, is actually the whole your whole life, but in this context, I believe he was talking about when you're a child and you're growing up. And see all the wounds that we have. Most of our wounds we dishonor our parents from infancy to eighteen or however long we lived in their home. I dishonored my mother about once a week as a son. Let, let me tell you something, mothers, about sons. From the age of 11 to 16, you've got to release them to the Father heart of God. And if you have a husband, release them to him to pull him away from you. And that's not a bad thing, okay? That's a good thing. Women are different. Girls are different. But men that are not released from their mother's control from 11 to 16 will normally rebel. And even if you do rebel as a son with your mom, which I did, I still respected her. Because when a man turns 12, 13, and 14, he knows that he's going into manhood. 
And it's very difficult to, to live this verse because mom still wants, a lot of times, still wants to treat him like a nine-year-old. And the boy's getting ready to drive a car. You know, back in Jesus' day, the young men were working in the fields. 10, 11, and 12 years old. They were getting married at 15 and 16. You know, my mother and dad got married at 17 years of age. And now, and now we tell them, well, you need to wait till you're about 29 or 30 till you're mature enough to, to love a woman. I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail here. But you see what I'm saying? That word honor is an interesting word. It's the, the Hebrew word kavod. It means abounding in glory. It means to place high value on a price, to consider and to validate, to give a good report, to bless, to be in right relationship. We're commanded to honor the position of our parents. It's a condition of the heart. It's not outward appearances or performance. You see, it has to do with what, what we think and say regardless of our parents' behavior. You know, when parents, when we make a mistake, and I'll get into this in a minute when we talk about normal mothering, when you make a mistake as a parent, a good parent will come to that child and say, hey, I made a mistake. Will you please forgive me? Because we expect the children to do the same thing. Here's some more verses from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. Proverbs 20, 20. Here we go. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. How about Proverbs 30, 11, 12, and 17? There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes. That almost sounds like today, doesn't it? Yet it's not washed from its filthiness. Now, believe it or not, this next verse we used to share with our kids before they went to bed. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Good night, honey. <laughs> oh, that was cruel, wasn't it? How about ravens and vultures? What does that mean? Ravens and vultures. It's not, he's not speaking literally of ravens and vultures. He's speaking of spiritual evil that can come to take the plunder. Ravens come over to a dying animal and see if there's life. Ravens represent spiritual evil that takes the sight out of your eyes, preventing you from seeing life. I want my eyes to see life. I don't want to see death. And then vultures are more powerful than ravens, and they come along and finish up the job. The animal is toast. So in the context, he's talking here about how you honor your, your parents. Now, the good news is that Jesus has come to do away with the ravens and the vultures. Amen? He died on the cross to save us from being destroyed by those animals. You'll, you'll find healing in His wings from these spirits if you'll obey his instructions to honor and obey your parents. Now the last scripture on obeying is in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. We can see that Paul mentions this commandment as well. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother 
which is the first commandment with promise. And he gives the promise right out of the book that it may be well with you and you may live long life on the earth. So the first thing I want to say this morning is that we need to honor our mothers. We need to honor our fathers, whether they're living or whether they're dead and have gone on to be with the Lord. It's important to nail these verses down inside your heart. Honor, honor, honor. Now I want to talk to you about the different kinds of mothering and the mothering heart of Father God. And then finally, forgiving and honoring your mom. Now I got this teaching from, <clears throat> from Mark Stibbe, who's an Anglican uh, bishop, Anglican priest, who was adopted as well as I was adopted. Matter of fact, he was a twin, and he was placed in an orphanage. At least I wasn't placed in an orphanage, and he has some real insight on mothering. And he calls, calls them noble mothering. You can write these down if you like. Normal, noble mothering, normal mothering, and negative mothering. That'd be good for dads too, wouldn't it? Noble, dad, noble dads, normal dads, and negative dads. Even before the birth, the child's relationship with mother is critical. I said even before the birth. God says he shaped us first inside and then out, and you formed me in my mother's womb. It's what child researchers and clinicians call the primal relationship, the mother-child bond. First of all, you've got the noble mom. How many of you ladies would like to be a noble mom? Yeah, you know what a noble mom is? It's attuned to every need of the child all the time. Now, that's a, that's a, pretty, high, that's a pretty high calling, isn't it? I call her super mom. She meets the basic needs of the child concerning their self-worth and security. Y'all heard the story about uh, Thomas Edison's mother? Yes. Thomas Edison was described by his teachers in school as an adult child. I had to look that word up. We don't use adult much. Adult means unable to think clearly and confused. My, my mom probably said that to, uh, to my teachers. This child is... <laughs> Not thinking clearly, and he's clearly, uh, he's confused. I did get C's in conduct because I talked too much. I, I actually have all my report cards from elementary school. My, I had a noble mom. She kept them all. I don't know if that was noble or not. If you remember, he was, uh, Edison was taken out of school and educated by his mom at home. Now, my wife did that as well. She educated three of our, all three of Three of ours. I think we only had three. three. Three of our kids at home, in and out. It said that Edison's mother told his teachers that Thomas had, had more brains than they did. Wow. I don't know if that's noble. I think that's bold. She was a champion. Here's another noble mom, you think? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, that, that was a... That's an example of a noble mom. Can you imagine how she had to deal with all of her kids and Jesus and the kids were playing in the backyard? Jesus would walk in and Mary would be there. Jesus, tell me what happened. <laughs> well, you, th <laughs> you think he told the truth? I believe he did. She was a noble mom. Helen Holloway, my mother, 
who adopted my sister, had noble mom moments. I remember when I was in sixth grade at Green Valley Elementary School over in Hoover, she, I told her about uh, one of my teachers, his name, and I'm not making this up, his name was Jack Hare. And he was a drug addict. I found this out from the obituary column. He, he was drinking, not drinking, he was, he was a drug addict, and he would bring his guitar to class and put the boys and grab them by the shirt and throw them up against the wall and call us all rum-dums. Well, I, I didn't think that was appropriate behavior for a teacher. So I went to the principal, and I was only in the sixth grade, and I, I told the principal about it, and my mother came up and supported us. And The next day, boy, uh, Mr. Hare treated me like a royal prince in his class. He started calling me Mr. Holloway, and I was only in the sixth grade. So I had a noble mom. The second type of mothering is normal mothering. And that's probably most of you ladies here in this room. You want to be a normal mom? Most moms are like this. Honor the noble mom. Honor the normal mom. Who is this woman? I call her the pretty good mom. The good enough mom. She's not going to always behave just right. She'll get angry at times and she'll lose it. But she has to know how to make it right when she misses it. That's, a, that's all of you ladies in here, isn't it? I know that's my wife. She'd miss it, but she'd admit her mistakes. And that's what helped. You know, there, a, a good biblical example, I don't have a scripture uh, uh, for this, but it, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, I mean, when she became pregnant, her children were tumbling and kicking inside of her. You remember her children were Esau and Jacob, and they were, they were having a family feud right there in her womb. One of them was grabbing the heel of the other one, and she was going, whoa, 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 what's going on? She said, is this the way it's going to be? Why go on living? I don't know if I can handle this. And her children struggled with each other their entire life, and she made a lot of mistakes, especially when they started eating the porridge. You remember that story? She was unsuccessful at times, and other times she was successful. She was a normal Jewish mother that struggled. Let's honor, from what I said earlier, let's honor noble moms. Let's honor normal moms. Now, brings us to the third mom, and this, this is the mom that we have a hard time honoring, and this is where the wound comes in. Stibby calls this the negative mom. Well, who is she? Well, quickly, I, I can't go into this in depth, but she's the mom that's like, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, she trained her son and advised him to do evil. There was another mom named Jezebel who probably trained uh, other folks to, to do evil. In the Western culture today, we have helicopter moms. That's what we call them. They overparent. They're with a child 24-7. They eat with their child in the lunchroom at school every day. They make sure that the child has a jacket when it's 81 degrees outside and they still have a jacket on. They can't wear shorts to school. They have to wear long pants and they got to make sure that everything is just perfect and right. How about the tiger mom, the, the mom who's strict and rigid, has all these rules and controls, and if you get outside the line, you're toast. You're toast. They're strong disciplinarians. How about attachment moms? You know, attachment moms can be good moms, but they sometimes 
breastfeed their babies up to three years. Now, that's a little extreme. But, you know, in the Hebrew culture, they did. They fed their babies about three years. The Lelechi League, I'm told, goes all the way up to five years. Or they carry their babies around with them everywhere they go. They go to the store. They go everywhere. And there, there is good things in attachment. You need to attach to your child, but there's an overkill in that. And how about free-range moms? I know a lot of moms like this who let their children run around crazy with little or no supervision. Oh, you got to go to the grocery store. Okay, well, here's $10. The kid's seven years old. I want you to walk four miles uh, down the road and pick up a, a loaf of bread for me and bring it back. I'm teaching my child responsibility walking the main streets of the city of Birmingham, and the, ch- the child's only seven years of age. That's free-range mothering. How about dismissive moms who often ignore the existence of their children, their feelings, dictatorial moms, controlling moms, authoritarian moms, shame-inducing moms, I can't even say it, denigrating moms who are abusive, shame-inducing either verbally or physically. Others are aloof, cruel, dependent. Some are addicted, helpless, sick turning you, the child, into their caretaker. That's called in psychology and in in Elijah House Counseling Ministries what we call parental inversion, where the child has to take up uh, running the house, and and that needs to be healed as well. You know, you have whole nations that have negative mom statements. Mother Russia, Germany, the nanny state. If you've ever seen the movie Skyfall with James Bond... His boss is called M. M stands for mom. We're a nation searching for mother-like love from the Father God. But you know what? These three examples, and I know I'm going through this pretty fast. These three examples of motherhood are all to be honored, even the bad ones. Now turn with me to uh, Psalm 22, 9 and 10. Are you all still with me? Psalm 22, 9 and 10. Now we're going into what the Word says about honoring God as a father who gives us a mothering love. He says, You are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Now that's liberating. That verse saved my life. Because in the womb... By revelation, I saw my mother and my father, who I don't know who my father is still to this day, arguing and fighting. And just in my spirit, there was a sense of not wanting to be on the planet for all those years. And I had to learn what it means to trust in the Lord, to trust in the Lord. Pause a moment with me. Why did God make it that we are nurtured by mother, cared and fed by mother? I think he did this so that we would look to him to feed us and nurture us. He said, you would trust me and I will cast upon you from birth, from birth's mother's womb, cast upon God from birth. Now let's look at Psalm 2710. The next two scriptures I shared with you the last time. 
Hold on to this verse, beloved. Hold on to this. When my mother and father forsake me, what? The Lord will take care of me. The Lord will take me up. And in Psalm 68, 5 and 6, God is a father of the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. That's so true. Is God in his holy habitation. I love this verse. God sets the lonely in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God sets the lonely. I'm a, a living example of that. You heard the life of Doris. I haven't told you the times that she was abused physically by men. She was married at least three times, maybe four. God delivered me out of that and into a loving family with Lewis and Helen Holloway. Now, that's a miracle in itself. From the foundation of the world, God set me personally in a family, and I would have been bound up, and I, I praise Him for that. I praise Him for that. You know, one of the things that Jesus does for us when we become Christians is He sends the Comforter. He mentioned that this morning. The Holy Spirit to be our Helper the Holy Spirit to be our comforter. And he said in the book of John that he would not leave us as orphans. And it's not just a comfort that says, oh, there, there, it's going to be all right. It's there. No, it's a blood transfusion. Literally a blood transfusion where we're energized, we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit. He gives us his strength to carry on in the midst of battle. The word is parakletos where we get the Greek word paraclete, the one who's called alongside to do what? To help, to encourage, to lift up. Nelson probably covered that in, in his uh, talk on the exhorter gift in Romans chapter 12. The exhorter gift is one who encourages, who lifts up. And it's literally a, a, a military term for comfort. It's, if you can imagine and picture two soldiers in battle, you men will like this, term used in military vocabulary, Soldiers went out in battle and they were paired up and they stood back to back, sword and shield in hand, and they fought off enemy troops. The person standing behind them was the wingman whom the other relied on to watch his back. Greeks call this the trusted soldier and the friend, the paraclete. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Jesus stands beside us. Jesus stands within us to encourage and protect us and watch over our backsides, backsides when the enemy attacks, when we feel abandoned, when we feel rejected, when we feel consumed by our life circumstances. He's our shield of faith. The Father heart of God is filled with a mother's love. Filled with a mother's love because He's the comforter. Now, how do we know this? In the book of Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, the Scripture says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. How? Male and female, he created them. This is a picture of what God is like, the heart of a mother, the heart of a father. Now, God does not have a gender. He's spirit, but he moves in the feminine and he moves in the masculine. That's why it's good to have a mom and dad at home. Now, if you're a single mom today, there's no condemnation in that. My daughter's a single mom. She's been living with me for 18 months with three children. 
14, 9, and 4, and we're still alive. Hallelujah. She's moving out next month, and she's about to get a job, and we're really thrilled with that. But when you have a missing parent, you have a challenge. Because I've, I've had to take her teenage son and say, whoa, 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 mama, come here. Come here, son. Come over here. Mama will be standing there, and I'll say, hey, come here, son. I'll take him in another room and say, Be- I'll say, Bethany, you go downstairs. You, you let me handle this. And I, I haven't been successful all the time, but I'll tell you what. God is a father to the fatherless. Isaiah 66. I've got to hurry. We have another picture of Father God's comforting love. Isaiah 66. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. You want some of that? And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. You want peace? You want a flowing stream? And you want to feed? On her side shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees. You know what dandling on the knees is, moms? It's when you bounce the kid up and down on your knees. That's what God does with us. Now, men, we, we kind of have forgotten about that, that we can sit on Father God's lap and let him bounce us on our knees. Your dad may have done this. As one whom his mother comforts. There's that word mother there. So I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. A mother's love is tender love, while a father's love is a strong love. It's all good. It's all good. Now, the last one is in King David in Psalm 131 that I have time for. Uh, King David said in Psalm 131, he said, Song of a sense of David, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Weaned child. Verse 2 says, Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wow. I quote that verse when I'm at work and I'm not content. When as a, as a, as a, uh, a person who has to get a certain amount of work done in, in the day, I have to rest my soul. Can I clean these 14 rooms in 42 minutes? Be calm and quiet, oh my soul. You know, even a football player can have a calm soul. Even an intense man who works hard, a woman who works hard, you can have a confident and content soul if you're resting in the arms of your father. Now, how do, we, how do I bring this jet to, to land on the runway? How does this healing come? Through forgiveness, confession, and repentance. Mark 11. Mark 11. And y'all have heard many messages on forgiveness, but this, this principle of honor and forgiveness has to be happening in our lives when we think about moms. And I want you to, just for a moment, at the end of this message, I want you to think about your relationship with mom, relationship with female figures, male and female in the room, that the Lord may show you some wounding that you need to confess 
and be brought into repentance. It says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, that's moms included, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, what does he say? Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, that's pretty powerful. I've talked to many people who are not willing to forgive their mom, not even willing to forgive their dad. Not, they, don't even, they don't even want to forgive the person that they work with, much less a parent. Because most, most children, when they're growing up, they can forgive at a certain point, but then after a long time goes by, that forgiveness heart kind of shuts out because of the woundedness. Now, the foundation for this, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31, 31 and 32, let, us, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. Where? Be put away from you. Get it out with all malice. And then what does he say? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's what we've got to do to our moms. It's got to begin with a revelation, folks. To understand all is to forgive all. And the process happens. You all know this next verse, 1 John 1, 9. Let's say it together. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I remember when I was driving around in a... In a a cleaning van when I worked for uh, Dixie Service Cleaners. I've had some crazy jobs. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Rob, you got to forgive your mother again. God, I've done that a hundred times. No, you need to forgive your adoptive mother. You, you treated her like she... Because you were so rebellious and you were so independent and you, you, you did things that she didn't know how to... My mother used to run upstairs because she didn't... My dad was at work, and you can relate to this, uh, ladies, I'm sure. There isn't someone else around. My mother would run upstairs in her bedroom and just shut the door and just cry for hours. And I was like, what is, what's the matter with that woman? What did I do? And so I began to, to breed bitterness in my soul toward my mom because I had a double whammy of abandonment, and now my other mother was abandoning me, so I just... Allow the enemy to come in and give me bitterness. It's like when mom says something now uh, to teenagers and they roll their eyes. Not a good thing. Because see, God doesn't look at outward appearances. He looks at the heart. You wound from the heart. You sin from the heart. See, you don't sin with just your mind. You sin with your entire being. We all sin. But it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is the ability to recall hurtful things that your mother did without them hurting you anymore. You see, when I read this story about Doris, I was able to forgive her instantly because I knew her circumstances. See, when you're growing up, you don't know who your mother is. You don't know who your father is, your birth parents. And you go, I wonder what kind of lady she was. Why would she give me up for adoption? Now I understand. That's freeing, ladies and gentlemen. 
If I wasn't this church, in this church, I'd probably jump up and down and scream and shout. We do a lot of that over at our church. We kind of we kind of get kind of crazy sometimes. But, you know, we need to renounce the right to retaliate. We, not, we need to stop dreaming of revenge. We need to cancel our judgments. And finally, this last verse, Colossians 3.13, we need to give mom an undeserved gift. Let's give our moms this gift. Let's say it together. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. This morning, if you have a grievance against your mom, you need to forgive her and release her. The challenge is that Jesus, the Son of God, has called us to forgive others from the heart. And when we make a decision to forgive your mom, God's love comes in right behind it. And enables you and I to move from the mind and the will to the heart. And the end result, you go back to the place where we started today in this sermon, which was honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you and your reward, you will live well and live a long life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.